The RNC is canceled, so people in Florida and across the rest of the country can finally go back to work and open up the economy again. In other news, Dr. Fauci flattens the curve with his opening day pitch. Ocasio-Cortez continues to fight with Senator, uh, Representative Yoho over comments that he allegedly made outside the Capitol. And the Washington Redskins get a new name. I'm Jay Edgar, and this is Contemporary. Good morning and welcome to Contemporary. I hope my friends in Florida can finally get back to work and get off the lockdown and everything else that they're trying to do because of the second wave that we saw here. Just coincidentally, it started going directly at then. My alarm clock's going off again. That was on me. I apologize, folks. Anyway, sorry about that. Yeah, the second wave is coming. Ooh, the second wave. And then it turns out to be pretty much nothing out of this. So we've got a lot of ground to cover today. A little bit of time, but we also will thank everybody who chatted in the live chat today as well because it is Friday and that's what we do. But before we get started, head on over to freedomscoop.com. Freedomscoop.com is going to be your one-stop shop for all of your news and commentary needs. Stephen Ignoramus threw out some music last night. We still have Contemporary. The Generational Gap will be on tonight, so go over there and check them out. Plus, check out the Freckles and Brit Show, uh, Call Me Ignorant, other Stephen Ignoramus programming, The Breakdown with Birkenhoff, which is on a two-week hiatus right now because he's backpacking through Texas in the middle of July. God bless that kid. And The Already Conservative. Go and check him out as well. Go and check all of us out. Come and uh, check out and pick up some of our swag and help us support great creators. All right, let's first get into the stocks and see what we've got going on over in the markets. <clears throat> Looks like we had a little bit of a tumble yesterday. 1.31% uh, down, which was, wow, 353 points that went down yesterday. And there were some reasons behind all that as well. We uh, will see what happened in. I was able to get back into IBD again, so we'll be reading from that as well, but... Yeah, that's what the chart looks like, and let's see what the reasoning is behind that, that they said. All right, starting with IBD, Dow Jones Futures coronavirus stock market rally faces test. As Apple, tech giants keep falling, Intel's pain is AMD's gain. From Ed Carson. Dow Jones Futures and S&P 500 Futures fell modest, uh, modestly rather early Friday, while Nasdaq Futures signal significant losses amid rising China tensions and plunging Intel. The NASDAQ is set to open up below a short-term moving average that has been a key support through the coronavirus stock market rally. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, allergy season came late this year, but it is coming out in full force. The coronavirus stock market rally sold off sharply Thursday as tech giants Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Alphabet, Tesla suffered significant losses. All are indicated lower Friday, especially Tesla stock. Chipmakers were in focus overnight, with Intel and Apple iPhone chipmaker Skywork Solutions reporting earnings. Intel stock tumbled as the chip giant delayed a next-generation semiconductor shift. Skywork stock fell modestly despite a beat in raised quarter. Those reports are important for the broader chip sector, notably AMD. AMD uh, stock spiked on Intel's woes. The coronavirus stock market rally has rallied 
in large part on the trillion dollar trio of Apple stock, Microsoft stock, and Amazon stock, along with the turbocharged Tesla stock. So it's not a surprise to see the major indices retreat with those tech titans retreating. Meanwhile, some real economy leaders fared relatively well. Apple stock, Microsoft stock, Amazon stock are all on the IBD leaderboard list. Microsoft stock is an IBD long-term leader. Google stock is on the long-term leaders watch list. AMD stock is on the IBD 50. Microsoft stock, Apple, and Intel are all Dow Jones stocks. So that's where we start there. Let's look at the futures. Dow futures fell 0.4% versus fair value. S&P 500 futures retreated 0.4%. NASDAQ 100 futures sank 1.2% versus fair value. Intel stock is weighing the DGIA, S&P 500, and NASDAQ, along with Apple and Microsoft. Futures weakened as China ordered the U.S. to close its consulate in Chengdu. That comes after the U.S. ordered China to close its consulate in Houston. I believe we're going to be talking about that a little bit later on today. Did I put that on here or not? Yes, I did. We'll be talking about the daily uh, from the Daily Wire on that one. Citing concerns about intellectual property and Americans' private information, the Shanghai Composite retreated nearly 4%. Remember, overnight action in the Dow futures and elsewhere doesn't necessarily translate into actual trading in the next regular stock market session. So, that's what's going on with the futures here. Let's see what CNBC had to say, because they threw one out right after the markets closed. From CNBC, Dow Futures set to extend losses after Thursday's sharp sell-off. From Fred Imbert and Weijan Tan. U.S. stock futures fell early Friday following broad declines in the major tech names that pushed the major averages lower during regular trading. The Dow Jones Industrial Average futures implied a loss of about 60 points at the open off the worst levels of the morning. Futures also pointed to declines at the open for the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ 100. Early action in big tech pointed to more losses with Apple, Amazon, and Microsoft each down more than 1% in pre-market trading. Tensions between the U.S. and China worsened on Friday after China ordered the closure of a U.S. consulate in Chengdu. We read about that already. In Thursday's U.S. session, the Dow ended more than 1% along with the S&P 500. The NASDAQ uh, composite rather dropped more than 3% as Microsoft and Apple each lost more than 4%. Facebook and Amazon were both down more than 3% and Netflix lost 2.5%. Big tech has been in the mar or been the market leader this year as investors grapple with the coronavirus pandemic and its impact on corporate profits. Amazon and Netflix were both up more than 47% year to date. Alphabet and Facebook are up over 13% over that time. Concerns of another technology bubble are rising, said Keith Lerner, chief market strategist at Truist SunTrust Advisory in a note. There's also growing concentration risk, with top, uh, top five stocks now accounting for 22% of the S&P 500. To be sure, Lerner noted that conditions today are largely not comparable to the mania seen during the tech bubble of the late 90s. Well, there are a few things that make that a little bit different right now as well. If you look at the technology bubble and what technology was in the 90s versus what it is now, I mean, for the most part, once the internet saturated out to everybody, through the 90s you saw the tech bubble burst and we started getting out and having some problems with that, but 
We still have tech giants here that are insisting that you buy their new product every other year. So we're gonna, it'll hold up. It'll still start to tumble a little bit, especially with people not going to work, not being able to afford the latest and newest Galaxy or iPhone or whatever else that they can do. And I'm talking about your average layman. I know a lot of the people that watch the show are essential workers, so they're still going back and forth to work and they can still afford to do things. But a lot of other people are going to have bigger priorities like making that rent payment that back rent payment, those back mortgage payments, those back electric bills. Those are gonna be bigger concerns for a lot of people. So it'll be give and take. It's not, it's not the same bubble that we saw at the end of the 90s and the beginning of the 2000s, that's for sure. All right, absolute valuations are elevated, but are less than half the uh, levels reached back then. The rising influence of a small group of stocks is a risk for the overall market. Though these same companies are also contributing an increasing amount of cash flow and profits, he said. Thursday's losses come after the latest unemployment data raised concern about the state of the economy. The Labor Department said 1.4 million Americans filed for unemployment benefits for the week ending July 18th, topping a Dow Jones estimate of 1.3 million claims. We'll be talking a bit about that a little bit later. So that's what's happening in the stocks, and that's where the tumble came from. But... Possibly there will be some good news for the economy because the Donald let them win. Let's see what's happening over on in the world of politics. Top story today comes from NPR. But I'm not going to sit here and read this article like this because it's NPR, but that would drive you nuts and put Sully Blue to sleep. And he's driving a large vehicle right now, so we can't have him going to sleep like this. All right, let's read from NPR. President Trump cancels Jacksonville component of Republican National Convention from Alana Wise. The Jacksonville, Florida component of the Republican National Convention has been canceled. President Trump announced on Thursday as cases of the coronavirus continue to spike across that state. I looked at my team and I said the timing of the event is not right. It's just not right with what's been happening, Trump said at the daily coronavirus briefing. They said, sir, you can't make this work very easily. I said, there's nothing more important in our country than keeping people safe, whether it's from China virus or the radical left mob. Trump's last minute decision to cancel the event follows a mad scramble by the Republican Party. And my ringer is back on, so let me fix that really quick. So professional today. Usually I'm all up on this and ready to go, but... Sorry about that. Trump's last-minute decision to cancel the events followed a mad scramble by the Republican Party over the last few months to try and hold the conventional party gathering in spite of the ongoing pandemic that has already killed more than 140,000 Americans. Citation needed, please. Delegates to the convention will still meet in Charlotte, North Carolina to hold a small formal business meeting as planned, but Trump's keynote Jacksonville speech will no longer take place. Charlotte had been the original location for the convention in its entirety, but a public spat between Trump and North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper over the rationale of holding a multi-thousand-person event during the pandemic led the GOP last month to move the higher-profile components of the convention to Trump's home state of Florida. I still love hearing that. Trump's home state of Florida. New York fucked him around so bad that he said, You know what? I'm going to Florida. The hell with this. We have to be vigilant. We have to be careful. And we also have to set an example. I think setting the example is very important. It's hard for us to say if we're going to have a lot of people packed in a room and then other people shouldn't do it. 
Trump said the party was still deciding how to conduct some form of the August 24th to 27th event. We'll have a very nice something, the best something, we'll figure it out. Will it'll be online in some form? May it be something a bit different? We have time, he said. The president said that Florida officials had not asked him to cancel the convention, a joint statement from the Jacksonville Mayor Lenny Curry and Duval County Sheriff Mike Williams thanked Trump for calling it off. Sheriff Williams said on Monday his officers would be unable to provide security for the event, citing poor planning and lack of funding. A Thursday Quinnipiac opinion poll of Florida voters showed that 62% of respondents thought it would be unsafe to hold a convention in the state, compared with 34% who thought it could be managed safely. So, yep, they won. They absolutely 100% won, and now the RNC is canceled. So, hey, hey, maybe we can cancel that second wave now, because... They got what they wanted. Maybe we can open the economy back up. Probably not. It's an election year, and they're going to do everything they can to hold it down until we get there. But, hey, I'm a wishful thinker. All right? I think that it's the best thing if we go up and just let people go back and assess their own level of risk and go to work. But if you ask anybody else in the world, even though the CDC came out two months ago and said, well, it's very rare. For people to spread the disease if they're asymptomatic, I still want to kill grandma. Let's keep going. You know, I, I want to touch on one other thing before we go on with this here, because just something that I noticed, speaking of the coronavirus pandemic, we'll be talking a bit more about this later, but I just wanted to point something out here. Uh, there is a grocery store chain in Wisconsin called Woodman's. Uh, they have them in most of your major cities in Wisconsin. It's probably one of my favorite grocery stores because the prices are so low it's kind of got a warehouse setting so they have a lot of stuff too i have met the owner of woodman's briefly once but i kind of know his philosophy as well my cousin worked for the uh, company for a long time they put a mandatory mask mandate on in woodman's like it's not the count the county didn't come out and do it the state didn't come out and do it woodman's came out and did it which most of your other businesses at this point uh did the same thing so it's not like well you can go shopping somewhere else without your mask on and we're gonna lose it lose our profits that way most of your other grocery stores did the same thing but when i went to go get some vegetables and a couple other things on tuesday that was the emptiest I have ever seen a Woodman's parking lot. Even when I went after midnight, when I was still working second shift to go pick stuff up after work. That was still the emptiest I had ever, ever, ever seen the place. And it was... Phil Woodman's not going to stand for that. He is not. He's not going to stand for that loss of profit. So, we'll see what happens and we'll see what the private industry has to say about these mask mandates. But we need to move on on the news. From Fox News, Chicago removes Columbus statue from Grant Park in the dead of the night, reports from Bree Stimson. Workers arrived under the cover of darkness early Friday to remove Christopher Columbus statue from Chicago's Grant Park, a week after rioters clashed with city police as they attempted to tear the statue down. The statue was being removed partly to de-escalate tensions between the protesters and police as unrest continues in the nation's third largest city, the Chicago Tribune reported. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot made the decision to remove the statue as well as another Columbus one in Little Italy earlier Thursday, according to Fox 32 in Chicago. 
Videos and still images posted on social media showed the statue draped in cloth and a crane pulled up to dislodge the statue from the pedestal before driving off. Are we sure it was city officials? It probably was. Most of the protesters can't operate a crane. Where the statue would be stored and whether it will return anytime soon wasn't immediately known. The statue was removed around 3 a.m. Friday after hours of tense arguments between proponents of its removal and supporters of the statue, Fox 32 reported. The statue coming down is because of the effort of black and indigenous uh, activists who know the true history of Columbus and what he represents. Neighbor Stefan Cuevas Casaguano, maybe, told the station. The decision to remove the statue is a reversal for Lightfoot, who has said in the past that taking down Columbus monuments erases history, the Tribune reported. So, yep, they, they're winning again, and yeah, the statue came down. Down comes the statue. At least it was in a safe manner where nobody was going to get hurt over it. Now, of course, we'll remember last week when they were trying to pull the statue down, which is 40 feet tall. And think of how much a 40-foot statue weighs. And they already busted one guy up over a 6-foot statue that got toppled down and landed on his head. Busted his head open, brain showing, and all the works. I still I don't have any uh, confirmation as to whether that dude survived or not, but... I can't believe the fact that they're pulling the statue down. But this is the time that we're living in, and this is what we're going to continue to see. All right, let's keep going here from ABC News. Another 1.4 million workers uh, filed for unemployment insurance last week. The tally has been over a million each week since March. From Catherine Thorbecki. Another 1.4 million U.S. workers filed for unemployment insurance last week, the Labor Department said on Thursday. This marks the 18th straight week that weekly jobless claims surpassed a million. It is also an increase from last week's 1.3 million figure, possibly a reflection of some businesses being forced to roll back on reopening plans or even shutter their doors again as coronavirus cases surge. The last week is the first time in more than three months that the weekly tally rose from the previous week's level. Approximately 50 million U.S. workers have filed for unemployment insurance at some point since March, and at least 16 million workers are still receiving benefits. The spike in the fresh batch of unemployment filings comes as the extra $600 a week in unemployment insurance through CARES Act is set to expire at the end of the month, a looming deadline that will bring new financial anxiety and a new slew of brand new news stories to the millions still out of work. The rising unemployment claims is a deeply concerning sign as the $600 weekly unemployment benefits expire for tens of millions of unemployed Americans, Glassdoor senior economist Daniel uh, Zhao said Thursday morning. The combined effect, uh, combined effect is of rising layoffs, expiring unemployment benefits, and escalating coronavirus outbreaks sets up the perfect economic storm that could easily derail the weakening economy's fledgling recovery, he added. <laughs> perfect. I'm sure that's what they're saying in Congress and in the DNC right now. I can't cite that, of course, but that's what I'm sure that they're saying. So, yes, the unemployment is, I mean, the extra stuff is going to start running out, but there is still going to be unemployment for it. But, yeah, they're they're just keeping, they're keeping to rack it up. They're racking it up more and more here. And, of course, now the House wants to extend out the payments for the end of time, or at least until after the election, and 
there's no incentive for people to go back to work and there's no incentive to send people back to work other than the fact that like i said i i know that a lot of my audience is essential workers so they're all going to work they're doing well but a lot of the people that didn't go to work are also doing fairly well at this point sometimes better than where they were and they just have to shutter this up a little bit more aren't you going to be glad in november when you can finally go back to work whatever happens happens i don't know we'll see what happens out of this this is something i have and it wasn't cited in this article i have found other sources i know shapiro was talking about it on his show yesterday that have said that even though we did have a week of increased unemployment claims this uh this week the weekly number of people who are continuing is continuing to go down. So continuing claims are going down, but first-time files are going up. So it's an interesting trade-off and balance as we go along. But we'll see what happens up out of this. All right, let's keep going here from the New York Post, which didn't load or unloaded because I had so much else going on. So let's get this up and reloaded here. Anthony Fauci doesn't believe COVID-19 will ever be eradicated. Dr. Anthony... Er, yeah, autoplay video. Lovely thing. Dr. Anthony Fauci said he doesn't believe coronavirus will ever be eradicated given how quickly the contagion spreads among humans. I don't see this disappearing the way SARS-1 did, Fauci said Wednesday at a live stream event hosted by TB Alliance, a nonprofit that researches treatments for uh, tubercul uh, tuberculosis. The reason I say that is so efficient in its ability to transmit from human to human that I think we'll alter or that the reason I say that it is so efficient in its ability to transmit from human to human that I think we ultimately will get control of it. That is a sentence that grammatically makes absolutely no sense. The director of the National Institute of Allergy Infectious Diseases said, I don't really see us eradicating it. Fauci said that getting the coronavirus pandemic to a manageable point relies on three things. I think a good combination of public uh, health measures, a degree of global herd immunity, and good vaccine, which I do hope and feel cautiously optimistic that we will get, I think when you put all three of those together, I think we'll get a very good control of this. So wear that mask, they say. Now, I mean, eventually this thing is going to run out of people to infect. Especially if it's going up as fast as they say it is. It's going to run out of people. And we don't know the true number of people that actually had this. We won't know that for a very, very long time. Because there are a lot of people that won't get tested for the antibodies. Or that won't get tested for the disease itself. We will never know how many people that actually had this. But I guarantee it's going to drive the death rate down even further. We are going to have shut the economy down for nothing. And all because of this... Small Italian man, who the news praised as a hero. We'll talk about that in another article here. But let's talk about something here that I picked up from my fabulous co-host. Indiana makes not wearing a mask a Class B misdemeanor, punishable by six months in jail, by Ewan Palmer. The governor of Indiana has announced all residents and visitors in the state will be required to wear face coverings, such as masks, in public or risk facing a criminal charge. Governor Eric Holcomb is due to sign an executive order, which will mean a statewide mask requirement would take effect in Indiana on July 27th. You must have a lot of loosey-loosey rules in Indiana because that doesn't, uh, 
That does that shit doesn't fly here. If you want to make a law, the legislature has to make the law. Those who don't follow the new order could be charged with a class D, uh, B misdemeanor, which is punishable by a fine and up to six months in jail. So, let me get this straight. If you don't wear a mask because you're afraid of getting a disease, we will put you in a small room full of other people who didn't wear a mask, who are also not afraid of getting the disease, where there is no chance of social distancing. Makes sense to me. Meanwhile, we let criminals, murderers, and rapists out of prison. And Cohen. We'll talk about that a bit later, too. The mandate, or Holcomb said that by masking up, we can and will save lives and slow the spread of COVID-19 in the state. The mandate will require everyone over the age of eight years old to cover their faces in all indoor spaces, public transport, and vehicle services, such as taxis, as well as outdoor public spaces, when you can't socially distance from those who you do not live with. Face coverings will be required in schools for students in third grade and above, as well as all teachers, other school staff, and visitors. Exceptions will be made for medical purposes, disabilities, exercising, eating, and drinking. While failure to wear a mask will be considered a misdemeanor offense, Holcomb assured the mask police will not be patrolling the Hoosier streets. Bullshit! You know why I know that's bullshit? Where it is? Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Punishable by a fine. You see what that is? That's a revenue-generating stream for the federal government, or not the federal government, but the state government. Punishable by a fine means we're going to collect money from you. They're not going to give that money up. So, those of you in Indiana, I apologize for hearing this, and I hope that you guys can make do with what it is. I know that our governor isn't going to, uh, well, he got neutered, so he can't really do that anymore. He tried, but he can't make state law, uh, statewide laws anymore. He has to go through the legislature. All right, let's keep going here from the New York Post. Anthony Fauci flattens the curve straight into the ground on opening day first pitch from Tamar Lapine. His curve was a little too flat. The White House Coronavirus Task Force member and diehard baseball fan Dr. Anthony Fauci threw the first pitch at the long-awaited 2020 MLB season opener as the New York Yankees took on the World Series champion Nationals. But Fauci, 79, should have stuck to infectious diseases as he fumbled the ball straight into the ground. Wearing a Nationals jersey and a red face mask, the 5'7 uh, righty bounced the ball on the grass, crossing the first baseline far wide of home plate. He'd been aiming for the Nationals reliever, Sean Doolittle, but was just a little bit outside. Fauci, a Brooklyn-born Nats fan, did have some pregame jitters, telling the team's Ryan Zimmerman he was quite nervous about pitching. Yeah, they made this guy a celebrity out of nothing. Okay, well, don't worry about it, Zimmerman, who was sitting out the season for health reasons, had responded to the tweeted video. If you bounce it, there's nobody there to boo you, so you'll be good to go. Yeah, because there's nobody in the stands for a baseball game. What is happening to this world? So, yeah, and once again, I don't understand. There's no reason to give this guy the level of celebrity to throw out the first pitch in an opening Nationals game. There's nothing. But they want to put him up on the pedestal. 
we're going to hold on to this one for Monday too. All right, let's keep going. Uh, CDC rolls out tools for schools to reopen safely during the coronavirus outbreak. Critically important. From Fox News, Nick Gibbs writes, the Center for Disease Control on Thursday released various virtual tools and guidelines geared towards assisting schools and educational staff around the country as in-person classes are set to resume in the fall following the coronavirus outbreak. These suggestions, which are listed on the agency's website, are also designed to help parents make certain their children are protected as possible, or as protected as possible, cities, rather, by taking specific precautions to limit the spread call. of COVID-19. With we, states, cities, you know, and communities around the United up, States uh, experiencing different uh, levels of coronavirus transmission, jurisdictions should ensure appropriate public health strategies are in place to slow the spread of COVID-19 as the first step I mean, in creating safer school you know, environments, they said. So the CDC believes in federalism, and the federal government doesn't. Several days of some Assess your own level like of risk seen in, some of the other in your own specific country. jurisdiction so, uh, what we do have and what is the we, first thing uh, the CDC says. But of course, they're going to put more mandates down. This administration is late December. Oh. Uh, I stood with uh, General... Thank you, Double Dog. It's still going to play, but I can mute it. With states, cities, and communities around the United States, uh, I read this one already. Then, working in collaboration with their state and local health departments, school administrators can employ strategies that best match the local conditions and actions that are practicable, uh, practical and feasible in their schools to help protect the health and safety of everyone, including students, teachers, and other staff. It continued. CDC Director Dr. Robert Redfield said it was vital for the schools to reopen in September, but added there must be an increased sense of vigilance and practicality among students, teachers, and administrators. It is critically important for our public health uh, to open schools this fall, he explained. The CDC resources released today will help parents, teachers, and administrators make practical, safety-focused decisions as this year's uh, this school year begins. I know this has been a difficult time for our nation's families. School closures have disrupted the normal ways of life for children and parents, and they've had negative health consequences on our youth. CDC is prepared to work with K through 12 schools to safely reopen while protecting the most vulnerable. Just like I said right here, it is critically important for our public uh, health to open schools this fall. We can't let those kids go without their government-mandated indoctrination. Otherwise, they might they might find another way to learn. Their parents might learn what we're teaching them. Oh my God! It could be we could in, we could stop indoctrinating kids. Parents could stop us. They might actually homeschool people. All the packet that I knew was going to come. They can't let them go without that indoctrination. They have to. They have to. Have to. Have to let those kids go to school. And yes, this is going to be the way that they do. And the whole homeschool thing was a joke, especially the way they were doing it. We heard a story while I was out on vacation about a kid who had a BB gun hanging behind him in his bedroom and got in trouble for it, got suspended from his virtual learning for having a BB gun hanging in his room behind him during the Zoom uh, class call. And of course, that's the other thing that goes along with this. I mean, for the most part, they've dumbed down the curriculum in this uh, 
in this country for No Child Left Behind to a point where it's barely recognizable. And what is to, I mean, what's to keep a student from, okay, he's attending class, he's in the Zoom meeting. He's absolutely doing that, but what's to stop him from having one of my videos or something up in another tab where he'll actually fucking learn something rather than listening to some underpaid teacher drone on and not care because he or she's getting a uh, union paycheck. But yeah, let's get them back into school so their parents don't get to look at their lesson plans while they're going through so we can feed them whatever kind of indoctrination that we want without inter uh, parents intervening. All right, let's keep going here. I'm going to save this one too because I think Elaine's going to enjoy that one here. All right. We're going to read from the Washington Times, which is a non-green check verified source, but I do want to point something out after this. So I have a piece of law, uh, legislation here for us to read after we read a little bit of this opinion piece. How totalitarianism begins in the U.S. Feds may not deploy police or military domestically unless the state governor requests it. From Andrew P. Napolitano. Serious issues are implicating personal liberty and public safety in Portland, Oregon. The police are not enforcing local and state laws. They're refraining from doing so because they've been instructed to do so by elected public officials. The U.S. Supreme Court has ruled that state and local elected officials, not police, are empowered to determine the depth and breadth of law enforcement. And the court has also ruled that the police have no legal obligation to protect lives or property, which there's no point in having police at that point. Stated differently, the police cannot be sued for their willful failures. The remedy for these failures, according to the court, is to elect different officials who will deploy police uh, assets differently. Yet, the police have a moral obligation to protect lives and property from, uh, or for what other purpose have we hired and empowered them? All persons have a natural right to protect their lives and property, especially when the government fails to do so. If its failures are systemic and repeated, the duty of the people to alter or abolish the government. We know this from the Declaration of Independence. Portland has been the center of anti-police demonstrators this summer. The neighborhood around the state capitol has endured nearly two months of nighttime demonstrations. Most of these are peaceful, some are destructive. Last weekend, with no notice or local consent, the U.S. Department of Homeland Security sent teams of agents, untrained in crowd control and wearing military fatigues, onto Portland streets. Their uniforms bore no governmental, administrative, or personal names, just the word police on masking tape. They descended onto the city in unmarked SUVs and began grabbing people indiscriminately off the streets without regard for the person's lawful presence or personal behavior. According to the account of one victim, he was walking peacefully in the downtown area, observing the chaos when five masked men in fatigues ex uh, exited an unmarked SUV, grabbed him, and pulled him into the car. They tied his hands with plastic behind his back, they pulled his cap over his face, and kept him in for two hours and then released him. They filed no charges against him. They had no basis for this kidnapping. It was kidnapping, not an arrest. An arrest is a lawful restraint by a legitimate government authority, which they were. Pursuant to a warrant issued by a judge specifically naming the person to be arrested. No. It's not quite how that works. That's how you would want it to work, but... If you want to sit back and detain somebody who is clearly committing a crime, that's called crime prevention. But that's also why they weren't uh, charged, because there wasn't a warrant. It was just a detainer in order to either keep the person safe or prevent that person from committing a crime. 
and some victims were even less fortunate than those kidnapped. They were assaulted with pepper spray and hit with non-lethal exploding bullets that stun, hurt, and disorient. The bullets can uh, harm the eyes, heart, and liver. I saw a video of a young man riding a bicycle away from the chaos, yet he was attacked by five of these feds. An Annapolis graduate and Navy veteran asked a small group of the feds what the constitutional authority they uh, were present in Portland. They responded by pepper spraying his face and beating his hand with a baton, shattering numerous bones in his hand. Portland is in America right now. What's going on here? On Monday, the DHS acknowledged that these thugs are its police and said their behavior will somehow be, bring stability to downtown Portland. The phrase that acting DHS Secretary Chad Wolf used, mimicking his boss, was law and order. So was granted by the NDAA that was signed by Barack Obama, renewed by the president but signed by Barack Obama, that allows the police, federal police, to detain indefinitely without cause or reason. But there is nothing lawful or orderly about what these agents did. Their activities in Portland are unlawful, unconstitutional, and harmful. They are unlawful because federal agents are selectively arresting folks and not even pretending to be enforcing local and state laws. Under federal law, the feds may not deploy police, military, domestically, unless the state legislature or the state governor requests it. Neither has done so far in Portland. All right, and now I want to read to you 40 U.S. Code 1350. Law Enforcement Authority of the Secretary of Homeland Security and for the Protection of Public Property. All right, and this is from Cornell Law School. To the extent provided for by transfers made pursuant to the Homeland Security Act of 2002, the Secretary of Homeland Security, in this section referred to as the Secretary, shall protect the buildings, grounds, and property that are owned, occupied, and secured by the federal government, including any agency, instrument, or wholly owned or mixed ownership uh, corporation thereof, and the persons on the property. Officers and agents, the Secretary may designate employees of the Department of Homeland Security, including employees transferred to the Department from the Office of the Federal Protective Services of the General Services Administration pursuant to the Homeland Security Act of 2002 as officers and agents for duty in connection with the protection of property owned or occupied by the federal government and persons on the property including duty in areas outside the property to the extent necessary to protect the property and persons on the property. While engaged in the performance of official duties, an officer or agent designated under this subsection may enforce federal laws and regulations for the protection of persons and property, carry firearms, and this is the important part right here, make arrests without warrant for any offenses against the United States committed in the presence of the officer or agent for any felony cognizable under the laws of the United States if the officer or agent has reasonable grounds to believe that the person to be arrested has committed or is in the process of committing a felony. Serve warrants and subpoenas issued under the authority of the United States conduct investigations on or off the property in questions of offenses that have been committed against property owned or occupied by the federal government or persons on the property and carry out such other activities for the promotion of Homeland Security as the uh, Secretary may prescribe. Now, yes, it is true that they are outside of the grounds of the federal courthouse that they are defending. That is 100% true. But... They do have the authority to go beyond the federal grounds if it comes into the point of protecting the federal grounds. 
So they have a limited scope that they can go off of federal grounds in order to protect the grounds that they're, uh, that they're trying to defend. And yes, they can make the arrest without a warrant. So this is, and this is linked in the Discord too, by the way, uh, 40 U.S. Code 1315. I recommend that you read the entirety of this. And yes, it is, it's a limited scope for the federal government to protect federal property. So just sending the troops into Illinois or Portland or many of the other places the president has threatened to is probably above and beyond his scope. But as long as there's federal property there, it is within his scope. So we're going to see what comes off of this. We're going to save this one here too. All right. From the blaze, at least three federal officers may be permanently blind after Portland rioters attack them with lasers, but things are not out of control. From Phil Shiver, at least three federal officers deployed to Portland, Oregon may have been permanently blinded after rioters shined high-intensity lasers in their eyes and launched fireworks at a federal courthouse in the city. Protests have continued to rage in the city for more than 55 consecutive days since the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis, but they don't talk about this on the mainstream news until the federal agents come out. In Minneapolis in late May, prompting President Trump to deploy federal officers to help quell the chaos, a move opposed by Democratic state and local leaders. Many of the demonstrations have turned violent as groups of rioters have engaged in standoffs, with law enforcement attacking officers with mortars, lasers, rocks, and bottles. Deputy Director of Federal Protective Service Chris, uh, Richard Chris Klein told reporters Tuesday that a crowd of more than 1,000 rioters surrounded the Mark O. Hatfield Courthouse on Monday and began tearing plywood barriers down and throwing objects at the officers inside. The rioters also allegedly graffitied the building, blocked roadways, and lit several fires in the area. According to Klein, when officers responded to put out the fires, lasers that can cause permanent blindness were shined into their eyes. We have three officers who currently have eye injuries, and they may not recover from those eyes from those laser attacks, Klein said in the news conference. And we've got the news conferences there. So, Klein said that FPS has now purchased anti-laser glasses to protect the officers' eyes. He added that seven arrests were made on Monday night and early mo uh, morning Tuesday, two for assaults on federal officers and five others on misdemeanor charges. Also during the news conference, the Department of Homeland Security Acting Secretary Chad Wolf took aim at the city of Portland for its apparent disinterest in quelling the violence. So, yeah, there's a bunch of stuff that's going on there. Portland is just a mess. I I don't know. I should go, uh, once I'm done with here, I should go over onto Stephen's stream and hop in his live chat and see if he wants to go out to Portland and just go see how bad it really is because I'm kind of curious. I know he loves to travel and do on-the-ground stuff, and I wouldn't mind at least having a little bit of backup if I was going to go do something like that. But, I mean, would you guys watch it if we did some live streaming up from uh, from Portland? Would you guys come out and check that out? I feel like you would. I feel like you would uh, very much enjoy that. But we're going to keep going here. From the Daily Wire, Trump signals 75,000 agents ready to go into Democrat-controlled cities to stop surging violence from Daily Wire News. President Trump told Fox News host Sean Hannity on Thursday night that the administration is eventually going to have to do something that's much stronger to stop surging violence in multiple Democrat-controlled cities and signaled that he has tens of thousands of federal agents ready to be deployed to clean up the streets. Trump's remarks come after the administration has set up agents to Portland and Seattle 
to deal with riots from far-left extremists. The administration has also deployed a large number of agents into Kansas City, Chicago, and Albuquerque as part of Operation Legend to help local officials clean up surging crime rates. I have offered them all, every one of them, and there's ten of them, Trump said. We're offering all of them. Let us go in. We will clean it up. We'll clean it up. We will go into the cities, any of the cities. We're ready. We'll put in 50,000, 60,000 people that really know what they're doing, and they're strong, they're tough. We could solve these problems so fast. But, as you know, we have to be invited in, Trump continued. At some point, they're going to have to do something that's much stronger than being invited in. But we have to be invited in. Later in the interview, Trump noted that the cities are run by very liberal people. You could say radical in some cases. In some cases, just liberal Democrats. If they invited us, we'd go in with 50,000, 75,000 people, Trump later added. We would be able to solve it like you wouldn't believe it and quick. But they, they just don't want to ask, maybe for political reasons, but they don't want to ask. It's a disgrace. So, yeah, I mean, Razor has said right from the beginning, and I tend to agree with this, right from the very beginning of this. This whole thing with the Chaz, with Portland, with everything else, this is baiting a federal response. And the mayors are just standing back and letting it happen. Letting people destroy the hardworking property of hardworking Americans who have decided to do the American dream, be entrepreneurs, or even be homeowners. Their property is destroyed. And not do anything about it. Begging the president to come in and use the military because then they can come out just like they did in Portland, like they're trying to do now with the federal agents and saying, Oh, well, he is. He's, oh my God, he's the tyrant we always said he was going to be. He's, it's Gestapo Trump. Gestapo. In spite of the fact that he is acting within the law. And I don't think the federal government should be doing this. I think the mayors and governors should be held to account for what's going on in their cities. Absolutely should. But these people have worked so hard to buy their home, to build their property, to even get the money together to rent something. And nobody's protecting their property, their livelihood, or their pursuit of happiness. And this president, for all of his flaws, at least wants to do that. I still don't forgive him for the Patriot Act, but for all of his flaws, at least he wants to protect the lives and livelihoods of these people. All right, let's keep going here. From Philadelphia 10, Tom Ridge says, a cold day in hell before he'd let feds patrol Pennsylvania cities uninvited. From Vince Latanzio. Tom Ridge, the former governor of Pennsylvania and first secretary of the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, decried President Trump's vow to send federal agents to patrol American cities, including Philadelphia. Ridge, a Republican who served two terms as governor, told Michael Smirkonish on his Sirius XM radio program that the Department of Homeland Security was not established to be Trump's personal militia. Well, then do something about Pennsylvania. The department was established to protect America from the ever-present threat of global terrorism. It was not established to be the president's personal militia, Ridge said. Federal agents have been operating in Portland, Oregon, amid unrest and protests that have included clashes between protesters and officers. Outside the city's federal courthouse, Portland's mayor, as well as Oregon's attorney general and governor, have told Trump that they don't want or need the federal help. 
The federal judge is hearing arguments Wednesday around a lawsuit filed by the state to restrain arrests from the federal agents. Well, get those people off federal property then. On Monday, Trump leaned into expanding federal intervention in Democrat-led cities despite a lack of requests for help. So, I agree with this as well, and this does come along with the Third Amendment. I did not think that we'd ever see the Third Amendment used in the country in my lifetime because I didn't think that any foreign invader would ever be dumb enough to come across seas to a point where we'd start having to mobilize troops across our nation and then quartering them after everything was quelled. But no, we have, we definitely have domestic terrorism going on, but once again, the federal government should not be intervening. We do have states and state national guards to do this. So we don't have to put federal troops and agents in, but these people are refraining from allowing this to happen. All right, let's keep going here. From Fox News, Ohio man in custody after kneeling on crying white child's neck praising Black Lives Matter. From Daniel Wallace. An Ohio man who was out on parole has been thrown in jail, awaits a new felony charge after a photo circulated on social media showing him posing with his knee to the neck of a crying white two-year-old boy alongside a message referencing Black Lives Matter. The Clark County Sheriff's Office first became aware of the photo circulating on social media on Tuesday and appears to be a direct reference to the former Minnesota cop, Derek Chauvin, who leaned on the neck of George Floyd before he died, sparking months of protests and unrest across the U.S. The photo shows a man who has since been identified as 20-year-old Isaiah Jackson with his knee on the neck of a crying white toddler who is only wearing a diaper. Another person holds the child's hands behind his back. The banner across the photo read, BLM now, motherfucker. Patrol units were able to determine the location where the incident took place and made contact with both the mother and the child, as well as the male subject seen kneeling on the image. The Clark County Sheriff's Office said in an update on Facebook Thursday, the relationship between Jackson and the child's mother is unknown. Jackson, a parole authority holder from the Ohio Department of Rehabilitation and Correction, was taken into custody and remains incarcerated in the Clark County Jail. He's waiting for the county's prosecutor to provide a determination on the scope and breadth of the felony charges that will be supported by that office for a presentation in court, according to the Sheriff's Office. This guy is a piece of shit. Now, if you want to make a protest and kneel on the neck of some poor white 20-something that you picked up off the street from the riots that has agency and the ability to defend himself, that's between you and the kid and social media. We will judge you as sees fit. But at least do it to somebody that can defend himself. You are doing this to a two-year-old fucking child, you monster. A human being that has no possibility of self-defense whatsoever. <sighs> Leave the children out of it. I understand that Floyd was in an intoxicated state and had really no opportunity to defend himself as well and had other underlying health uh, issues on the top of it, but he was an adult in the agency of his own and he put himself, for the most part, into the state that he was in because he was on something. We don't know what it was. Um, some people know what it was, but he was on something. 
He had his own full agency to get to where he got to be. This is a child. You monster. All right, let's keep going off of this. From the Daily Wire, China retaliates against the United States for forcing consulate in Houston to close. From Daily Wire News, the Chinese Communist Party retaliated against the U.S. late on Thursday in response to the U.S. forcing China to close its consulate in Houston over allegations of criminal activity. China ordered the U.S. to close its consulate in the southwestern city of Chengdu, which is the westernmost of America's five consulates in China. China just informed the U.S. Uh, side of its decision to withdraw its consent for the establishment and operation of the U.S. consulate in general in Chengdu. The U.S. Consulate General in Chengdu must cease all operations and events as required. Foreign Ministry Spokesperson Director General Hua Chunying, this is a legitimate and necessary response to the unilateral provocative move by the U.S. to demand closure of China's Consulate General in Houston. China's move came despite the fact that they did not make any allegations of improper conduct by Americans working inside the consulate. News broke on Tuesday night that the U.S. was forcing China to close their consulate in Houston after a video surfaced on Chinese officials burning classified documents, according to law enforcement. Based on FBI investigations, it's clear that the PRC consulate in Houston officials were deeply involved in attempts to illegally transfer research from the Houston area institutions, include cutting-edge medical research, to China, the State Department said in a fact sheet. Consulate officials attempted to hide their contacts with the Houston area researchers and told employees of the Houston area institutions to stop communicating with them through their work email addresses. So, what's the over-under on the Chinese hot war coming before the U.S. Civil War does? Because I would give 50-50 odds to both of those as to what's going to happen first. And the fact that they're on the edge of happening at the same time really frightens me because fighting a two-front war for the U.S. is it's not going to be easy for that matter and who knows what's going to happen up out of this after that. I hope you guys are ready to learn Mandarin because this is definitely edging on the edge of hot war. Alright, let's keep going along here, I think. All right, AOC Yoho Clash prompts responses from Pelosi, McCarthy, and other lawmakers. From David Arrow. Leaders of the U.S. House spoke out Thursday in reaction to this week's clash between Representative Ted Yoho and Representative AOC. Speaker Pelosi called the woman, or called for women to be treated with respect, while House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy called for Ocasio-Cortez to accept Yoho's apology. Earlier in the week, Yoho allegedly called Ocasio-Cortez a fucking bitch on Capitol Steps, reportedly in reaction to comments she made about poverty contributing to recent rise in crime in New York City. I have yet to see any evidence of this, by the way. Well, we should just believe all women, though. Yeah, I have yet to see any evidence of any of this. I think this was just an attention grab. Now, prove me wrong. If there's evidence of it, absolutely show me. I will take it. I will take it. I will report it if you can find actual evidence of this. But right now, this is a he said, she said, and this, there's no reason for this to be a major mainline 
news story on the top of the headlines of Fox News. There's no reason for any of this, but they're going to keep pushing this off because we can't get along with anybody. We're going to keep going off of this one here. Just got a couple more here, and then we will read the names of everybody who uh, chatted in the live chat throughout the week. Including the people who were a little bit nasty earlier on in the week. There are people too. But let's go along with uh, the Daily Wire. Congressman introduces bill that would have Democrat Party change name or be barred from participation in the House due to past support of slavery and the Confederacy from Ryan Saavedra. Well, don't you know that everybody knows... Everybody knows that the party switched in 1967. Everybody knows that. Representative Louis Gohmert introduced a bill Thursday on the floor of the House of Representatives that would ban the Democrat Party due to their history of having supported slavery and the Confederacy, saying that that is the standard which they're holding everyone else, so the name, needs, uh, name change needs to occur. Whereas on June 18, 2020, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi ordered the removal from the Capitol, portraits of four previous speakers of the House who served in the Confederacy, saying that these portraits set our nation's work to conf uh, set back our nation's work to confront and combat bigotry. Gomert said, "The men depicted in the portraits were Democrat Robert M. T. Hunter, Democrat Howell Cobb, Democrat James L. Orr, and Democrat Charles F. Crisp." Resolved that the Speaker of the House of Representatives shall remove any item that named symbolizes or mentions any political organization or party that has ever held a public position that supported slavery or the Confederacy from any area within the House wing of the Capitol or House office building shall donate such items or symbol to the Library of Congress, and two, that any political organization or party that has ever held a public position that supported the slavery of the Confederacy shall either change its name or be barred from participation in the House of Representatives. Gomart concluded, with that, I would yield back. And yeah, when Pelosi first started talking about the, or taking down the paintings and the Confederate statues started coming down as well, one of the observations that I made, and you guys probably all remember this right, right back from when I started making this observation, was the fact that, yes, this was... I don't want to actually attribute motive to these people because I can't, I can't read their minds, but... I do think that they're trying to erase the history because they don't want people to remember the fact that it was the Democrat Party that was pro-slavery and pro-secession, that most of the Democrats in Congress went off to go off to the Confederacy. Now, yes, like I said, you've been pointing that out for years on your social media. Most of you have. I have. And you always get met with the same response. Well, everybody knows the party switched sides. Every, every Democrat became a Republican, and every Republican became a Democrat in 1967. Now, with uh, Southern strategy, there is a small amount of merit of what they said. But for the most part, no. The parties have remained exactly the same. I don't think Gohmert's bill is going to go anywhere. And I actually don't agree with it either. Because as much as they did, especially going down now through before the progressives out of it. The party of JFK. The party of Carter, for that matter. And I don't care for... I like JFK, but I don't care for Carter. So... Uh, what's going on with this is... 
it's not going to go anywhere. And there's been a lot of rich history that comes out of the Democrat Party. They have been a good and viable party for a long part of history. See, while there's no audio playing, I cut that already. You must be behind on the video somewhere. All right, anyway, I got to keep going off of this here. Anyway, yeah, no, there's a very, very rich history in the Democrat Party. A very rich history. And to just give that up instantly because they want to change the name, it's the same thing as tearing down the statues. So I don't support this bill. All right, two more, and then we're out of here. Well, two more, and then we read the uh, names of the people that did the live chat. And then we're out of here. So what do you want to uh, clue Sewell in, by the way? Uh, judge orders Michael Cohen to be released from prison from Larry Neumeister. A judge on Thursday ordered the release of President Trump's former personal lawyer from prison, saying the government retaliated against him for planning to release a book critical of Trump before November's election. Michael Cohen's First Amendment rights were violated when he ordered back to prison, or when he was rather ordered back to prison on July 9th, after probation authorities said he refused to uh, sign a form banning him from publishing the book or communicating publicly in other manners. U.S. District Judge Alvin K. Hellerstein said during a telephone conference. Hellerstein ordered Michael Cohen released from prison to home confinement by 2 p.m. on Friday. How can I take any other interference that's or then that it's retaliatory, Hellerstein said, or asked prosecutors, who insisted in court papers and again Thursday that the probation department officers did not know about the book when they wrote the provision of home confinement that severely restricted Cohen's public com uh, communications. I've never seen such a clause in 21 years of uh, being a judge and sentencing people and looking at terms of supervised release, the judge said. Why would the Bureau of Prisons ask for something like this unless there was a retaliatory purpose? In a ruling, Hellerstein said he made the uh, finding that the purpose of transferring Mr. Cohen from the furlough and home confinement to jail is retaliatory, he added, and it's retaliatory for his desire to exercise his First Amendment rights to publish a book. Cohen, 53, sued federal prison officials and Attorney General William Barr on Monday, saying he was ordered back to prison because he was writing a book. Disloyal, the true story of Michael Cohen, former personal attorney to President Donald J. Trump. Yeah. You're getting up. You're getting up to election time, and you're going to start seeing these these books come out. And for everything the mainstream media comes out and tries to tell you, oh well, Biden's got this in the bag. He is sure going to take down that evil orange man. He's going to get rid of that evil Donald Trump. For everything that we're seeing out of this, we sure are seeing a lot of tell-all books come up out of this. And personally, I don't really care what Michael Cohen does. I don't really give a fuck. Whether he's in prison or out of prison, he's an asshole. And I don't buy anything that's going to be in the book because it's going to come from a point of absolute ass hurt. Because mean old orange man fired him. I don't care about Cohen. He can be in prison, he can be out of prison. It probably was retaliatory and it probably was wrong, but who cares? It's just going to be another book from another slimy person who wants to get a buck out of the fact that he knew the president for a little while. See Mary Trump and Michael Bolton. Or John Bolton, rather, not Michael Bolton. But, yeah, that's what's going on with this here. He's, he's out. He's back on the streets.
he can go represent more porn stars. No, that wasn't him. That was Avenatti. Avenatti was the porn guy. Okay, so he can go represent more greasy businessmen. There we go. All right, last one here. Reload. Come on. Think faster. There it goes. From ESPN, Washington NFL team to use Washington football team for 2020 season. From Adam Schefter, effective immediately, Washington will call itself the Washington football team pending the adoption of the new name, the NFL franchise announced on Thursday. This is not a final renaming and rebranding for the team. This is the name it will use until the adoption of a new name. The team will continue the process of retiring its former name in hopes to be entirely rid of it on physical and digital spaces in the next 50 days by the September 13th regular season opener against the Philadelphia Eagles. Washington will not have any change to its color scheme. It will still use burgundy and gold, and its former logo on the helmet will replace or be replaced by each player's number in gold. Washington will debut its home uniforms in Week 1 against the Eagles and its road uniforms in Week 2 against the Arizona Cardinals. While Washington uses these uniforms and helmets for the 2020 season, it will be seeking the feedback of players, alumni, fans, sponsors, and the community for the team name it will use in the future. Terry Bateman, the franchise's new executive vice president and chief marketing officer, said the team wants to include fans, business partners, and alumni in the process. That takes time. You're doing a rebranding process that correctly takes 12 to 18 months. If you want to do it right, you have to take a deep breath and step back and go through the process, he said. We want to do it right. We want something thoughtful and inclusive and smart and bring a lot of points of view into this and come out to the other side with something everyone is proud of and can rally behind. Did you guys, uh, I don't know if you guys follow uh, uh, tweets by Britt over on Twitter. Uh, Britt, who was on the show, Half the Freckles and Britt Show. Uh, but she changed her Twitter name to California Twitter Lady in response to this. Just generic shit. Sources, Viking Zimmer agrees to New Deal. You know what? I'm Scandinavian. My answers, uh, ancestors come from Finland. You know what? I find Vikings offensive. We need to change the name of the Vikings. I find that offensive. So, yes. We have the generic Washington football team. I can't do NFL this year. I cannot. Absolutely not. Fuck that. I can't do it. No. I can't. Nope. Can't do it. And I bleed green and gold. And I still can't do it. All right, and that is going to be it for the week here. So the last thing that we do on Friday is we pull up the live chat over here and read the names of everybody who chatted in the live chat because you gave me the views and you helped make this show great. So the first thing we're going to do is go backwards here from today, and then we will go back on my notebook because technology is unreliable and read the names from everybody else throughout the week. So 
We will start here today. We have Ron Helton in here, Dava Cannabis 420. Uh, Sully Blue is in here. Ron Helton came over on the YouTube side here. Seawall is here, but I think he might be lagging behind somewhere because uh, he came out and pointed out the same thing that Devil Dog pointed out. So I think he actually might be almost an hour behind at this point. Let's see who else was in here. Devil Dog 9595, welcome on in. Thanks for coming back. Thanks for coming and checking us out some more. Sticker party, absolutely. Uh, Spartan 3004. Unpleasant comments, but everybody's welcome to chat in the live chat here. Uh, Devil Dog 9595 again. Who else do we have? Uh, Critical Cut, that's a new name here. Uh, EBZ's V6 Challenger. That's a new name in here as well. Thanks, you guys, for coming in. You're always welcome to come back. Have a lively discussion with the live chat here as well. Unfortunately, like I said, I can't really interact with the live chat during the stream because I still have to get done, get out, and get to work. So, But thanks, everybody, for chatting today. Let's see who talked to us throughout the week on Thursday. We had Dabba Cannabis, Sully Blue, Ron Helton, and then uh, Spartan3004 made his first appearance as well. So thanks for coming in and uh, chatting with us here. Uh, Wednesday, we had uh, uh, Sparta0000, and I don't know what his uh, the end of his tag is right now. So I know who it was. Uh, we had Sully Blue. We had uh, Riot BLM92923, who decided to start throwing up some uh, racial stuff over on the Twitch side. So... That has been uh, dealt with. Was he? You're right. I did see him there. Did I not see him up in the chat? Oh, yeah, I did. I went right by him. Uh, Re-Recycled Bear here was, uh, was here as well. Thanks again, Re-Recycled Bear. And thanks uh, for Sully Blue for keeping me honest on that. Wednesday, we also had uh, OK Please OK over on the Twitch side. Seawall728 and Ron Helton. Tuesday... Gave us a chat from Ron Helton, Dabba Cannabis, Sully Blue, and then we had a couple other new names in here. We had Mac Fussler over on the uh, DLive side, and New York Yankee fan over on the Twitch side, which you start hearing the dueling banjos play. And on Monday, of course, we had Ron Helton, Sully Blue, Dabba Cannabis, Robert321, Ant83, uh, Key Wallace, which, and uh, Crow001001. Those last four are also new names, so I hope you guys come uh, in here back as well. All right, that is going to be it for Contemporary for the week. We will be back here on Monday with much more news because it's never going to stop. We're going to be seeing way, way more of this because it's going into an election year. I'm interested to see what happens with the coronavirus now that uh, they canceled the RNC. So we'll see what goes on with that. I'm sure there's going to be plenty of stuff. But... As for future episodes here, we will be back here on Saturday for an Ed Talk. Make sure you get in the live chat and get your questions in. That will be at 5.30 Central Time, and that will be my big time to give back and interact with you guys. So I hope to see you guys there. I hope you guys give me lots and lots of good questions. I can't wait to go out and answer them. I've got some stuff I want to talk about on Ed Talk, but as you all know, and as you will tell the people that you're going to share this with because you're going to tell people. I know you are. You're going to tell people that uh, to come in and hang out in this live chat coming up on Saturday. So as you tell these people, 
you guys decide the topic. You guys decide what I talk about for an hour. So make sure you come on in and uh, check that out and enjoy that as well. Um, otherwise, we'll be back here on Monday with more Contemporary or Monday night with the Red Net Show. Come back and check that out. That's going to be at 7 a.m. and 5.30 p.m. respectively. So come and check that out. Or we'll be back here on Tuesday night for more Ed's World Gaming. Thanks, everybody. We will go ahead and get the, I'll go ahead and start getting this processed out so we can uh, get it on the audio platform before I go to work. Which is cross my fingers because we all know how slow uh, YouTube's uh, uh, buffering, not buffering, processing processes become. So we'll see what happens there. But until then, until I see you guys next time, take care, everybody. Never take the words of bloggers, podcasters, or journalists as gospel. Find all the facts and draw your own conclusions. Have a great weekend.